Pages of Pim Better Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by my friend Christian Masai. Christian works for the United Nations, and currently he's uh, based in Nairobi in Kenya. So he was referenced a couple episodes back when I did my whole episode about Kenya. And Christian was uh, like a lifesaver and a saint in Nairobi for my friend Caroline and I. He's really well uh, plugged into the community. He knows a lot of people that work for the UN. He knows people that live and work in Kenya. Um, and, uh, you know, he put us up and, and really kind of made my experience in Kenya happen. So I'm grateful to him for that. Uh, on top of that, and on top of being a good guy, he's got some really incredible stories and some amazing experiences. Uh, f- for the UN, he's been stationed in, in Nairobi. He's been in the Congo, which I'm really excited to eventually talk to Christian about. And he's also been in Haiti. So in this episode, we only focused on Haiti. And we're going to have to do a second episode because after a while, Christian had to go. So I'll see him in a month when I'm in Vietnam. And hopefully we'll be able to record another episode about Haiti while we're there. And we'll be able to record an episode about the Congo. When I'm doing these recordings from New York to a place like today, Nairobi. Sometimes the connection is not the best. So we did the best that we could. And uh, Christian also has a pretty thick Italian accent. So if you're somebody who listens to the podcast as background noise or something like that, uh, I recommend really focusing on this one uh, or else you might not absorb what Christian's saying. There are times when, when even I have to, uh, have to give, um, give it a second or two before it sinks in and my brain sort of recognizes the words that he's saying. Uh, so his accent's really cool, but just I say that to say you need to kind of focus on this one. Uh, I wanted to try to give like a little bit of information about Haiti. I'm no expert. I have not been to the country. Uh, I know far less about it than obviously than Christian does, but I have done a fair amount of reading and, uh, you know, I'm a history teacher guy. So um, I like that Christian gets into aspects of the country that he likes uh, because there's a lot to say in terms of the growth that the country still has to make. Uh, so the, the island that Haiti is currently located on in 2017 is shared between Haiti and the Dominican Republic. Historically, so pre-Columbian Haiti uh, was populated by the Taino people, which I believe uh, is also like uh, the language is Arawak. Uh, you can correct me on that if I'm wrong. And I believe they also called the island Haiti at that time, uh, which was, you know, changed to Española or La Española by the Spanish when they first uh, arrived and colonized. So when, you know, you're a kid in the States and you hear, you know, Columbus sailed the ocean blue 1492, uh, Haiti or Española is the place where they landed, where they first arrived thinking that they were uh, in India, right? And um, I'm sure, I mean, you could Google this stuff if you don't know it, but um, the Spanish were quite brutal to the people that they encountered um, through their own actions and also through things like diseases, which the native people of the Americas did not have tolerance and resistance against. Uh, So today, um, if you look at like the, the... genealogy of the people from Haiti, 
um, I think it's over 90% trace themselves back to sub-Saharan Africa. And that is because uh, when the French were colonizing, the island was really sugar plantations um, to export sugar and to export rum. Now, there are, uh, there's a number of really good books uh, that uh, maybe I'll, I'll throw into the show notes for you. But, um, you know, sugar coincided with industrialization of the Western world. It was a caloric source that uh, gave people energy and gave them the necessary, necessary calories that they needed for uh, production, for working, uh, to keep them, you know, going throughout the day. And this came at a huge cost for uh, places like Haiti because it was slave labor that was extracting uh, the labor-intensive process of extracting sugarcane. Um, in more recent times, uh, well, I guess an important point to note is that um, the Haitian Revolution was um, was something that had a, a global impact in the sense that uh, it made rich Southern plantation owners in the United States and the United States government, uh, I believe Thomas Jefferson was the president at the time, it made them quite nervous because this was a successful slave revolt and not that far from the South and people, including slaves in the South, had heard about this. So there was uh, fear in the country that there could be a slave revolt um, that was successful in the United States as well. Um, and it's also, it was something that showed the world that uh, suppressed people could overthrow the oppressor. Um, in more recent times, Haiti, because of its geographic location, it's like right in line with uh, the trajectory of, of hurricanes as they come up through the Caribbean and, and then hit the east coast of the United States. And so a country that has traditionally been lacking in infrastructure um, that's constantly being hit by tropical storms and hurricanes, uh, it's going to, you know, make the creation of infrastructure even, wor- uh, even harder to do. Um, and I think, like, as the countries develop more, um, really the development needs to be for, like, as much as it's possible, and this is far past my expertise, but, like, storm-resistant infrastructure. Um, and so... The big thing that I think a lot of people have probably heard about was in 2010, there was an earthquake. And uh, a lot of aid poured in at that time, Red Cross, United Nations. And, you know, there's a lot of criticism, and rightfully so, about uh, where some of that money ended up and um, sort of the lack of action at certain times from the, uh, the donor countries. Uh, Christian was there prior to the 2010 earthquake, and so he'll talk about that. Uh, but even, you know, as recent as last year in 2016, Hurricane Matthew hit and it was really devastating and uh, there was a really uh, awful hailstorm as part of that hurricane and a, a lot of people, I, th- I think it was over 300 people died from that storm. So um, it's a place that needs help, but it's a place that needs help in a really intelligent and well thought out uh, manner. Um, with all that, there's obviously where I live in, in, I live in New York City and in Brooklyn, and there's a, a large Haitian population, and there's like a really rich culture from Haiti um, that is really beautiful and is celebrated. And so I think that I don't want that to get lost in the discussion about Haiti and that 
Um, there is, you know, obviously something to be said about the culture and the people and the art and the music and the food. And I think that should be celebrated as well, instead of us just talking about the things that the country needs to do to improve. Okay. Wow. Long intro, Tim. Um, all right, that's it. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Christian. And uh, as always, reach out to me at thevoyagesoftimvetter at gmail.com. Check me out on Instagram, thevoyagesoftimv. Please take care of each other. And until next time, peace, everybody. Today on the Voyages of Tim Vedder podcast, I have my friend Christian Mazai. How's it going, Christian? How are you, Tim? How are you? I'm doing well, man. It's good to hear from you. So, so I met you in Kenya. You were gracious enough to host for me. And while we were there, I got to know you and hear a number of your stories. You're really well traveled, and you have the unique perspective of being in some places that uh, people don't normally travel to, and that's because you work for the United Nations. Uh, So in planning out how we were going to do this, we figured that we would talk about one place on today's podcast, and that place is Haiti. So Christian, why don't you take us to maybe the beginning of that? How did you initially end up uh, working in Haiti? Okay, so uh, Haiti was my first, uh, uh, what we call hardship vegetation, so a place where, or non-family vegetation, so it's one of these countries which are very difficult, very poor, there is a conflict ongoing, so you are not uh, working for the UN, you cannot go with your family. And uh, it goes back to 2006, and I joined, uh, so uh, in Haiti, uh, there is a UN peacekeeping mission, which is called the MINUSTA. And I'll tell you later what the, what the acronym is. And I joined in 2006 as a United Nations volunteer, which is uh, a, a program for United Nations that sends the volunteers around the world with the UN, including peacekeeping. And uh, they serve for a, for, for a maximum, now the, the, it, uh, and my time was uh, between six months to seven years. And now it's a little bit less, it's about four years, but it's a very good experience because you go into what we call the field, basically really where the problems are and you are exposed in, in, in first person and you are, you are basically in the front line. So, in 2006, uh, I, I, I won't go too much into the details about the politics of, the, of Haiti because otherwise we need to have an episode just on that. But just to tell you that in 2006, the peacekeeping mission was there to stabilize the country. So MINUSTA is the French acronym for the United Nations Mission of a Stabilization in Haiti. So Haiti was not in war. There was not... Uh, uh, inter 
for intra conflict. It was mostly a very good country who was stabilizing from a long term dictatorship uh, from Aristide. Haiti has had a history of uh, dictatorship with uh, uh, Papadoc uh, and, and the Duvalier. And then Aristide was, let's say, the, the, the last one. What happened, we, I arrived, it was in transition period, and I arrived in 2006, and in uh, January 2006, and in February, they were running the first, uh, let's call it, the democratic election of, uh, of Haiti, of the history. So basically, I landed in, in Haiti one, one month after uh, I had to be involved in the preparation of the, of the election. I want to tell you a little bit more uh, about Haiti itself and uh, what, what were my first impressions. I was very young, very excited. I'm still very excited. By the time I was born, uh, let's say, uh, it was, everything was new. So I landed in uh, Port-au-Prince, which is the capital city, and we were uh, two of us. We arrived at the same time. And, and we had to be assigned to a different city. Uh, because the UN is present in the capital, Provence, where the headquarters is, but also in the regions or in the provinces. And uh, so the first thing you do when you arrive in a mission, you of course need to do the security, uh, we, we call it the check-in. So basically you do sign a lot of paper, you do administration, and you get the security brief, and then you go to see the, the section you are working with. And at the time I was working for the civil, civil affairs of the section as the civil affairs officer and uh, the role of this section is uh, to work with the local authorities to, cap to do capacity building of the uh, local politicians with, with the mayors and uh, basically the idea is to strengthen the uh, institution of the state so everything which is uh, managing a commune and uh, at all levels, so from the community to the regions and to the, uh, let's say, the government and the parliamentarians, of course. So it was me and another guy, was a, a French guy. We went to our section, and it was very funny because uh, the, the section chief uh, greeted us and then he said, okay, so pointing to the, the other guy, he said, okay, you will be assigned here in Paris. And then he looked at me and said, you will go to Polypete. And I had no clue where this Polypete was. Then we go check it out. The map, and then uh, progress was pretty straightforward. It's the capital. It's bigger. Normally you have more services. Uh, uh, you have a place where you can buy stuff, food, and things like that. And then I asked how was the Polypete. And they kind of... Uh, laughed a little bit and they said, yeah, Polypete, it's okay. But you have a great team there. So I hope something was falling down. So the second thing you do, it's uh, once you know where you are going, is to get in touch with the office where you're moving. So I called the colleagues in, uh, in Foliperte. Foliperte is a region in the northeast of the country, and it's basically at the border with Dominican Republic. So Haiti and Dominican Republic, they share the same island. In the, in the, in, historically, the island itself was called Hispaniola, together. And then there's been divided. Fran uh, let's say French colony, Haiti, Spanish colony, right. uh, 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 Dominican Republic. So 
so I called my colleagues there, and they say, uh, uh, luckily, uh, strangely enough, one of the colleagues, the colleague that I had to replace was also another Italian, so we spoke in Italian, in Italian. and it was like, oh, okay, you're, com you're coming uh, in, uh, in two days, please bring all these things, and they, they made the list of all very basic uh, goods, like uh, toothpaste, uh, tuna cans, and so I was uh, asking myself, but why can't you buy these things there? And the answer was no. And I discovered when I arrived there. So I made this big box for all my colleagues, and I brought this box there, and uh, I figured out after a few weeks that, uh, yes, there were no way to buy anything there. There was no canned food, no, no fresh food, no supermarket, no nothing. So everything had to be brought by uh, brought from the capital. Another interesting thing is that at the time, in 2006, there were no roads in Haiti. So the way I reached uh, for, uh, uh, for Liberté was by helicopter. So you should have seen me, 25 years old, with my luggage taking uh, one of these... Uh, post-Cold War uh, Russian helicopter, wow. which uh, we call now, we, we used to call uh, flying washing machines because <laughs> they, they shake a lot. And then I flew to Foliberté and I basically landed in the middle of nowhere. There was no, there was no landing pad, there was no airport. We really literally uh, landed in the, in the grass there. So we, I landed there with a few more colleagues and then somebody came to pick me up who was then my, my closest uh, colleague there. I have a and question. Was, uh, uh, can I ask you a clarifying yeah. question real quick? So to give some context, I guess, this is before the earthquake in 2010, but uh, historically Haiti's been hit by tropical storms uh, and earthquakes in the past. Is that the, the lack of infrastructure that you're speaking about in terms of uh, roads and things like that, is that because of the constant um, environmental issues or because of the uh, corruption that had been taking place with, within government? Okay, I would say that uh, Haiti is a very poor country and uh, at the time there were uh, a few international NGOs or others working in the regions. So mostly of the NGO and, uh, and the company building roads and things like that, they were focusing mostly in the, in the, in the capital. Once, when I arrived there in Polyberta, there was only one uh, international company who was building a road from Polyberta to Capetien. And that was it. So it wasn't really about uh, the the earthquake, uh, or because the earthquake came after the the, the country was already in a chronic, uh, a poor, uh, underdeveloped situation. It was mainly because there was no state, uh, there were no institutions, there was no president who could, who could coordinate okay. the uh, humanitarian assistance. So that was possible at the beginning. Okay. Well. Then uh, in February 2006, we got the first election, and uh, we had uh, President Preval uh, came to power. And, uh, and then the work started with that. Basically, the UN, it's, it's the United Nations is there to support the, the, the state. But already having a state, someone in power, who 
could exercise executive power to the country, it, it, it helped us to uh, channel our uh, humanitarian aid, let's say. But you said something uh, very right, because Haiti, unfortunately, is a very, in a very unlucky position, because every year there is a hurricane, at least, passing through the country. Okay? And, uh, and uh, it, 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 it creates a lot of chaos. There is a lot of infrastructure collapse. Uh, I, I, had, I had an experience with the hurricane. I would like maybe to, to, tell, you, to tell you later. Okay. Uh, first, I would like more to tell you about uh, Polyberte, because uh, I've been uh, in Haiti uh, three years, and in three years I've been in different regions. So the first region was the northeast, and the, and the main city was called Polyberte. Then I've been in the north, which is uh, basically a road connected now to the northeast, and the main, main city is called Capaisien, which is the second major city. And then I've been in the south. And, and all, uh, every, every duty station I spent one year. And I have a few stories about each of the duty stations. So if you want, we can uh, proceed uh, chronologically in this way. Yeah, sure, that's cool. Foliberte was very, very, very remote in the sense uh, that it was, there was no proper road at the time connecting any of the city. Foliberte uh, had, had, let's say, a dirt road going to Dominican Republic, uh, and it was taking us like uh, two hours to drive there. Now there is a proper road and it takes 30 minutes. So it's uh, one fourth of the time. Wow. And uh, this, is, this is when I learned that uh, you build the roads, you bring development to a country. Because if you don't have access, you don't have humanitarian assistance you can go there, you don't have any international aid or partners who intercept to because they can't reach these places. And also, uh, it's the places where you have mostly um, security uh, incidents because the police can't reach there. Right. And uh, and I remember one of the few days I arrived, I visited one of the one of the prisons, and uh, I was with the with the United Nations police because in the in the in the discrimination you have three components. You have the civilians like me, I was a civilian, and then you have the uniformed personnel. You have the military, which are uh, uh, law, uh, let's say, given by member states for a period of six six months or more. They they are in the peacekeeping mission under the United Nations flag, but they, they are still nationals of their own country. So they, they stay six months and they, they go back and then there's another contingent coming. And military normally they exercise the function of uh, patrolling and security and these kind of things. And then you have the United Nations police, which are individuals coming from their different nationalities, of course, and they work mostly to reinforce the capacity of the local police. So I went with this, uh, with this UN, uh, UN poll, UN police, uh, to um, a prison, I was saying. It was interesting because, again, I was pressed from the boat. I just arrived. Right. And uh, we visited basically a scene of uh, a prison that was uh, uh, the door of the jail were breaking, open breaking. And then they explained me that it was the crowd who went to pick up this guy who was who has been arrested for a, for a crime, 
and he has been beaten to death. Wow. And I could see the stain of the blood from the batting, from the bats used to hit his head, and the stain were projected all over the walls. So it was pretty, pretty <laughs> graphic and pretty touching uh, for my first month, I think. That. So that's also to reinforce what I was saying, that uh, not having uh, a state or a police presence, you have this kind of uh, uh, people justice or community justice. So people in the crowd get angry. Uh, this guy did committed, uh, I think, a murder or something. So why waiting for a, a, a trial when the judge is not there in a very remote area, the police is not enough, so let's just take care of ourselves. So that was one of the episodes. And uh, and then uh, maybe, uh, uh, again, a little bit about Foliberté. Foliberté was a very little town. Uh, basically, there was one line, which one road, one only line in the, in the village, all the houses around. Our office uh, was uh, made of... Uh, uh, containers, Corimac, these uh, prefabs, and we were like maybe 10, 10 people, so it was pretty pretty boring somehow, and, uh, and the entire town was 24 hours without electricity, and I'm not joking, wow. without electricity, all time, 24-7, which means our office was working uh, with the generator, you had the generator, and that's it. So you had the internet, you had the telephone, and the computer, and the, and, and stuff working in, in the office. When you go home, you have no electricity. And now, uh, something that I realized is that when you don't have electricity, it's not just that you can't uh, turn, off, turn off the lights or see what's happening or, think, or use the, your laptop. If you don't have electricity, you don't have a fridge. Right? Right. <laughs> and if you don't have a fridge... And no hot water, it right? It means... That's it. It means uh, you don't have hot water, of course. But no fridge means no fresh, no fresh meat. Or fresh food, sorry. You cannot, uh, uh, as you say, store anything which is fresh. So our diet also was a lot depending on this factor. So there was no salad, uh, vegetables, meat, or anything like that. The only meat we could have was going to, there was maybe one or two restaurants there. They were like not really restaurants, like family-based houses. They were cooking for more people than their family, let's say. And we ate the chicken, which has been uh, uh, just uh, just kids, let's say. So it's fresh in that sense. And then maybe something about the diet is that uh, I remember eating basically almost every day rice and beans and banana. They ate this banana, it's called banana, banana pese, which means pressed. So they cut the banana, they press it, and then they fry it twice. And it looks like a little bit like uh, some French fries, but it's a banana. And that was, was it every day. And we were joking, saying that, okay, today we eat the rice and beans, and tomorrow we eat beans <laughs> and rice and banana. And if you're lucky, sometimes you can eat some chicken, and then you will team and you will ask me, but Haiti, it's an island, so what about fish? And I will tell you, <laughs> yes, but the, 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 the fish is when you have fish, when you have fish, you have the capacity to fish it. And, uh, 
And they, they, had, they had some fishermen, but they were like individuals. They were not organized like in a, in a commercial way that you can take enough to feed the village. So fish was rare, and, um, but also the water was pretty polluted. So it was this combination of... Uh, but there was polypeptide. In other places, it was uh, really better. Maybe another funny episode I can share with you if you want. Sure. I want to ask you a quick question, Christian. Um, with you talked about um, how without the infrastructure of roads, uh, policing was a bit of a problem, and without electricity, were you issued a curfew or anything like that? Like, was was there ever an issue where you personally felt unsafe? Okay, that's a very nice question. Very good, thank you. Uh, because yes, the country was uh, it was not stable. There was a lot of criminality. Uh, and there were some gangs uh, active, like a gangster, and they were controlling some parts of the uh, progress. There is a very popular uh, neighborhood uh, called the Cité Soleil, which was a stronghold of these uh, gangs. But that was, and every night you could hear shooting, like rifles, wow. and, uh, and, and uh, every night. But there was progress in the capital. In the, in the remote era where I was, it was so, so remote, that nothing was happening there, uh, but in both ways, so nothing positive, but also nothing negative. There was no shooting, no gangs were active there because there were no resources, there was nothing there. Okay. And uh, I, well, maybe only one time I felt uh, a little bit uh, in vain, let's, uh, let's not say in vain, it wasn't in Polyperto, it was in another city, that, uh, that I was followed by a, a group of kids, let's say, young, young guys, and they were, and some of them, they were asking to, starting asking me for money, for help. And I was right outside my house. And, uh, and they were like, look, I don't have money or whatever. But one of the guys started being a little bit more aggressive and, uh, and started to say, yeah, but your house is here. Maybe you have one inside and stuff. I was lucky enough that only one guy was uh, kind of aggressive that way. The, the others, they were not falling up in. And uh, luckily enough, my house was based right in front of the uh, military, UN military peacekeeper's base. And there was the, the sentinel, the guard, uh, the tower guard was facing uh, my house. So the, the military was looking at us. So whatever would have happened to me, uh, most likely would have intervened to protect me. Wow. That was the only time I felt in that sense insecure in that city. Okay. Uh, but the episode I wanted to tell you is that I felt very, very secure for, for, some, for something else, which is uh, in, in Haiti you have all kinds of animals and poison animals, and you have uh, like gigantic spiders. I mean, the <laughs> biggest spiders I've ever seen in my life, they, they were there. And I, let's say, they are not my, I, I don't want to say that I'm scared, but I will say they are my best friends. Mm-hmm. And I tell you once, I saw a giant spider in front of my, okay, I, I, my house, we were, you share, you share houses with colleagues, and also because you don't have a lot of houses that are, uh, you can live where, uh, which, you know, the structure is good enough and stuff, so we were sharing, and uh, also for security, you tend to be with other colleagues, so if something happened, you have someone who can take care of you. So I was going inside my place one after work one day, and uh, there was a giant spider in front of my door of my room, and it was so big 
It was gigantic, it was not moving, and I could not go inside my room. And I was alone in the house. So what did I do? I just walked out, and I went in, into town, and I found that I stopped the first uh, random person that was walking around, and then they say, uh, excuse me, you can you please come with me? <laughs> so I took this gentleman home, and I say, can you please uh, take care of this uh, monster here and take it out? And it was so funny, the reaction, because he look at me and he say, but this is a, a petite bestiole. And, and, and French means like, uh, like a little tiny little animal. Little animal. It was like <laughs> big as two hands of mine. Anyway, that was one of the... Are they poisonous? Was not the only episode that, that uh, spiders uh, have... Uh, uh, they, they interfere with our life. Uh, I find one in the shower. But anyway, just, there was just a little parenthesis to put some uh, some funny to it. Are those poison- um, are they poisonous, Christian? Pardon me. Are the are the spiders poisonous? Uh, uh, just, uh, I never I never figure out uh, myself. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but they were just big. Big and ugly and hairy and uh, and uh, and then they were invasive. Once we had uh, this dinner at my place, this is that time there. You have dinners, you invite people home, you do parties, and I had the security guard, the sec- our security officer, he was there, and he was trying to use uh, a spray to kill the spider. And the spider was looking at him like, I'm completely immune, you need to do more. <laughs> and this guy had these big shoes, like these military shoes, and tried to step in him, and the, and the, and the spider could not uh, die. Anyway. So, and maybe about security very quickly, I remember I had the two types of people coming inside the house when we were not there. Right? They were like uh, sneaking in from a window open, maybe stealing something. I got my multi-tool knife uh, stolen, my torch stolen. This is also also to tell you that that's what they need. It's not, they don't go for after uh, money or laptops or stuff. They need the basics. Right. And and also another thing maybe I can tell you is that uh, at the end of the day, once you're in this place, you try to survive as much as you can. So I told you there was no no electricity in the city, in the town, let's call it, but we had a generator. And uh, we had uh, some electricity, so we had a wire coming from the office was uh, bringing electricity to our place. So we did have some bulbs and we did have a fridge working. But uh, it was funny, in, in a sense, uh, funny, maybe not so much, uh, because uh, sometimes we could see the power in our house, so the light bulb was going weaker and weaker, because the people outside, they were climbing on the roof and connecting to the cable. Oh, so wow. they were getting electricity from our, let's say, generator and so. So there was also something else. And then, um, then uh, maybe another thing I can do is once you are in these little places, you really connect with the local people. The local population are, uh, are amazing. Haitians are amazing and they are very smart uh, people. They most of them, okay, this, the, language, the official language is Creole, which is uh, similar to French. It's a Caribbean French, let's say. You have uh, Creole also in, other, in some, some islands uh, in, in, in Africa. So there's, uh, it's, it's in, in, there's influence from Africa. Looks like French. And then they speak French. So two languages. Right. 
every, almost everyone. And then in Polipepe, as we are so close to the Norwegian Republic, most of the people also speak Spanish. Maybe a few words about the Dominican Republic. I mean, the, the, the city, the frontier city, let's say, they have uh, a different vibe or different nature or life than others. You can see really that you, there are, uh, there, there are pro and cons. There are also a lot of problems because you might have conflict among the two countries. And uh, so the city in the frontier, they are very special. But something that I remember is that to cross the border in, from Haiti to the Dominican Republic, you, had, you, can, you need to pass a bridge. Uh, but the water was so low of the river that you could cross the river uh, by yourself or having someone who carried you in his back and you cross the river. Uh, and then uh, something I want to show is that every time I was... So you're coming from a country where there are no roads, it's all dirt and uh, no, no street light and nothing. And then you pass the bridge it's like if you are entering through a stargate, no? You go into a different universe, a different dimension, and you see streets, and you see lights, and people, and the market, and everything. And then you look back, and you have, like, desert. So it's also something that impacted me a lot. The Dominican Republic, and again, the city in the, in the frontier is called Darabon, is not very developed, in, 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 let's say, let's call it in a Western uh, uh, terms, but it still was way much there than uh, Haiti. So you can see really the difference between the two. And they're sharing the same island, so that's very interesting also, how two countries, two different states, the way of managing their resources, they can have a dif they can offer a completely different life to their citizens. So that's one also I wanted to share with you. So I have a couple questions for you. Uh, I guess based upon your experience there, uh, and based upon your experience working in other countries. And the first is, uh, Haiti is the poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere, right? How can Haiti yeah. generate like a self-sustaining economy? Like what, what can they produce? What can they give to the world? How can they attract dollars coming into the country that aren't just uh, donor dollars? Very interesting question because uh, uh, there was one of the problems of Haiti. Uh, uh, Haiti received for so long uh, uh, foreign aid, and uh, but it was not made in a sustainable way. So uh, the country was so used to receive aid that they didn't develop their internal, uh, let's say, mechanism to, to, to produce goods. Uh, one of the examples is that the rice imported was cheaper than the rice uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, produced. Right. So this, let's call it trade from outside, the imports of rice were killing the local market. Uh, so this is one. Another thing I would say that, uh, again, not having a stable uh, auto, um, uh, state institutions also doesn't help uh, an organized way of uh, you know, producing goods, and it's more up to the, uh, let's say, the elite or those who have a little bit more means that they can, uh, uh, let's say, tailor the market in the way they want. Haiti was very popular for the rum. They have uh, uh, one of the most, the best rum in the in, in the world. I think it's called Bamako. 
But if I recall well, it's the only thing that they were really producing for exportation. The rest, it's, uh, there is no, there were no infrastructure to produce anything. And they need to import everything. And by not having a, a way to buy import, uh, the goods that were imported, uh, I think, actually, no, actually it's bananas. Yeah, they were exporting bananas. Okay. Uh, mostly to the main republic. But again, it wasn't enough to, 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 to feed the entire population. Uh, I honestly, if I ask you, ask me now, I, I, I won't, I won't know how to answer. What, how can they get out of this, of, of, of this economic, economy stalemate? I think the, the time I was there, for what I have heard, the political insecurity is not a conducive environment for any kind of, uh, thinking of development or, 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 or in that sense. So I, I, I think it's, uh, it's that. However, uh, while I was there, there was a time where the price of uh, food rise, and then uh, we had uh, all over the city, all over the country, riots and uprising of the population. Mm. And uh, once I found myself into one, and we had to, basically the population was marching toward our base, and, they, and, and we had cases of attacks to our vehicles, attacks with rocks and stuff. So in order to prevent, uh, to, to sec secure our perimeter, we had to deploy the peacekeepers on the street and to block them to marching forward. And, uh, and I remember that the moment was quite tense. I remember the peacekeepers were lined up and the, and the, and the mob was coming to our side. And there was only one street. So we, are, we were basically blocking the way for them to pass because they would have passed and come very close to the base and maybe they could have attacked us. So well, wow. we didn't know. But like, but luckily enough, it, it ended up well. The crowd just stopped and they turned back and, and nothing happened. But in other city, we had, uh, we had the more, uh, more serious incident. So maybe that's a lot for, for Liberté. And then I can tell you a little bit about the second station that I went to was Capetien. Sure. If you want. Yeah, that sounds good. Cabezien is very interesting because it's a very nice place compared to Fondipete. And it's on the coast and they have a very nice beach. And I will jump into it because maybe this is, this is what will interest you. There is a very popular beach called Labadi. Okay? Very nice. And it's a resort and it's made by Royal Caribbean. That I'm sure that you know. Yes, the cruise, uh, cruise company. Royal Caribbean, they own that piece of land. Wow. They had gigantic uh, cruise ships from uh, the itinerary, if I'm not wrong, it's Paul Lottelday in uh, Florida uh, to uh, Bahamas and then Labadee and then they continue somewhere else. The funny part, so these big cruise ships were coming during the week and during the week this piece of land was out of bound for the Asians. So no local people could go there wow. because somehow Royal Caribbean, I think they felt uh, Haiti wasn't safe. They wanted to protect their uh, their guests, their, their customers, and uh, so they were locking up the the resort, including ourselves. We could not access. However, during the weekends, 
which is good for us. Uh, and when the when where there are no uh, cruise ships, uh, the resort was was open to the locals and uh, and uh, to us, including us uh, from Iran. So uh, uh, while in Polyperte, I was basically uh, I had nothing to do. There was really nothing to do there. Somewhere in the Caribbean, we are next to Turks and Caicos, and then somebody, and most of them, they were saying, yes, we are in Hispaniola. Then we checked, we checked the itinerary of Royal Caribbean, and he was saying Hispaniola. So they, somehow, Haiti was not appearing. Wow. So we did ask the customers, do you guys know that you are actually in Haiti? And they were like surprised to say, but Haiti is a very dangerous place. Oh uh, we should not be there or something. Uh, and we were like, yes, but it's, maybe it's not as dangerous as you think. And it's uh, very beautiful, as you can see. The, the resort was very beautiful. White sand beach, uh, palm trees, they even installed a jet tip uh, line. There were jet skis. There were a group of divers who were assigned to uh, the resort. They were staying there all during the week. I made friends with uh, I was friends with them. And so forth, and uh, so they are basically working when the when the customers come, and then when they work out when they're gone in the weekends, they just clean and they, and they do the maintenance of there. So it was very interesting that people didn't know they were in Haiti, and the, unfortunately, the worst thing was that no income from uh, uh, from the tourists directly was staying in the in the country because it uh, Labadi this beach resort was. was I don't know if it's still the case, uh, was the property of Royal Caribbean. So all the money what? was going back. There were very few funds that were staying there. That's nuts. And uh, to, to, to end in a good note is that uh, we managed after to negotiate with Royal Caribbean later in a later stage to change the itinerary into Haiti instead of... Uh, oh, wow. Of, uh, so that was like a, a successful story. The UN was able to negotiate that, Christian. We, uh, I, had, I had, we had some colleagues from the uh, public information office, so like the journalists, and they, yes, they did that. Okay. So, so now, what I have to tell you, Tim, unfortunately, is that I have just one uh, percent with the okay. with phone. Uh, so maybe we need to continue a different time. What do you think? Yeah, this is what we'll do, Christian. I'm going to see you in like a month or so, and I'll bring my stuff with me, and we'll talk about the Congo at that point. Okay. I, I have still more to tell you about the Haiti, and so it's still uh, more story to do. So either we do two episodes, or maybe we mix the two, you, you will think about it. I still have more stories to share. All right, that sounds good. So we'll, when we get together in about a month, we will uh, continue from here. That's good. Okay. Awesome. So we'll talk to you, eh? All right. Thanks so much, Christian. Appreciate it. No problem. Ciao. All right. Bye-bye. 
All right, that's it for this episode. Thank you to Christian. Thank you, as always, to Brian. If there's anybody out there that has uh, different experiences from Haiti or maybe an update for us because it's been a while since Christian has been there, uh, be sure to reach out to me and I will try to feature you on here. All right, folks, as always, take care of each other. Catch you next time.